What's different now is that 10 years ago, you would have felt like you're going shopping for an agency. 10 years ago, you would have gone, okay, well, tell me the five agencies that are going to suit my thing. And then we'd, you'd feel like you're walk, walking the supermarket aisles. You shouldn't, I'm sure people do, but you shouldn't run a pitch just because you want to negotiate all the fees down. You want to get it cheaper and cheaper. If left alone, if left unchecked and un, you know, unsupervised, the, the corporate politics that goes into a $100 million contract becomes intense. Hello and welcome to episode five, season three of The Ad Pod. In this episode, we're going to be discussing media agency pitches, and I'm joined by the fantastic Tom Denford. Tom is the CEO of leading media consultancy, ITcoms. Media agency pitches present such fantastic opportunities for brands and agencies to evolve. However, the agency pitch itself can quite often be criticised for being overly cumbersome and often price-driven. In today's episode, we talk about the role of an agency pitch, why they exist, what makes a good process versus a bad one, and Tom shares his thoughts on how media agency pitches will transform in the coming years. Please feel free to click subscribe on whatever platform you listen to this on and add a rating. It really does help. Anyway, without further ado, this is episode five, season three of The App Pod. Hey Tom, welcome to the AdPod. How are you doing? Hello, Wayne. Good to see you. We're, we're practically neighbours now. I mean, practically, yeah, practically. Yeah. Um, how are things going? Good. Yeah, very good. Uh, very happy. I'm as as you probably announced I'm, or had mentioned. I'm also based in the US, uh, like you, but we yet with it still without the New York accent. Yeah, I feel like I'm picking up phrases and words, and when I speak to my British friends, they always just highlight what I'm saying but yeah it's, I think uh, over time it's about to be more and more as well so before we get into it it'd be great to kind of find out a bit more about you so for those who don't know you would you mind giving like a quick intro into you know, what you do and, and your sort of career to date yeah sure um so I'm Tom Denford I'm a co-founder and I'm also this the CEO of a company called IDcoms and IDcoms is a uh, it's a consultancy business i often say to people you know we're we're a powerful little business you've never heard of because we operate somewhat under the radar and we 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 are we offer a kind of very discreet advisory service uh to the world's you know biggest advertisers we work with many many of the of you know these famous brands that you that you know that you know fortune 500 or whatever whatever you want to call them um and they typically ask us three things as a business that we're typically trying to answer answer questions for helping them answer questions the first thing is like how good are we at media and we we're we call ourselves a growth consultancy because we really focus on thinking of marketing being an investment in growth okay and uh and we really focus on the media and the advertising part of that so it's more the marcoms marketing communication side so we're an advisor to brands on their marketing communications, and we look at all things, both the strategy and the money, basically. So that we're asking, we're answering three questions. One is like, how good are we at media? 
It's a good question that nobody can answer. You know, CMO, that's the kind of question they say. Like, how, how good are we at media compared to others, typically? Like, how good are we in our category at media? It's a big, broad question, but it's really important because a lot of money, you know, you're talking about, you know, our clients spend hundreds of millions, sometimes even billions of dollars a year on media. They want to know that, they, that they're quite good at it, you know, or how can they get better? So how good are we at media? And then we, so we look for that. We look internally within these organizations. We're looking within these marketing departments, within these marketing organizations, how they manage media, how they make decisions, what people they've got, how they're structured, what tools and technology they use, what processes they're following. Uh, as I say, it's a lot of money, so there needs to be a lot of governance and structure around that stuff. Um, so that's that's the you know how good are we internally? The second thing is who should we be working with externally? That's the other question a CMO might have. You know what agencies should we work with? You know, and now we call it partners because it's kind of it's a trendy way of saying agencies, right? Uh, but also partners is a is a broader it's rightly broader term because the partners to a marketing you know to a brand. Let's remember we're talking about brands. The partners to a brand are not just agencies now, it's direct to publisher or it's a platform or technology, it's consultative businesses like ours, all these kind of things. So they have ex external partners, but they'll have some primary agency relationships, which are worth a lot of money, right? That's a lot of money. It changes hands, certainly with the media agency. So that's question number two, like who should we work with? And then question number three they ask is, you know, uh, you know what are we getting for our money, right? So then you put the money through that system. Where does it go? What do we get? How can we improve? How can we improve the performance of that investment continually? So, uh, and they're always just thinking about how they can be the best in their category. So that's kind of what we do. We focus on those, those three areas. Um, I know that wasn't your question. Your question was like, what did I do before this? But what I did before this, I just spent 15 years in ad agencies, basically, and, and media agencies in, in Europe and uh, in the US. And then we decided to set the business up. Um, in 2009, we launched the business. So we're, we're now teenager, teenage years, these painful teenage years. Um, I founded the business with a, with an amazing chap that you know, called David Indo, who was, who came from the brand side. So he's a, he's a marketer from Nike and Coca-Cola. And I was from the agency side. And we launched the business based on a very simple, was over a beer, obviously, uh, obviously, always, uh, but always, always <laughs> um, but just based on a couple of insights and, you know, we've got to where we are today, I think half by luck and half by judgment in the sense that I think we were kind of right on those insights and then you have to, you know, you, you ride your luck on, on as a business grows, but uh, this was 2009. Nascent days of programmatic advertising, right? It was a much simpler world in those oh, days. It really was, Wayne, Tom. It really you, was. As you'll know. <laughs> Uh, so media was about to get very complicated. We knew that. Secondly, eight, we knew that eight, because of that, agencies were maybe going to be harder to manage. And what we mean by that is that they they were going to require some management, let's say, right, from the advertiser side. And thirdly, 2009 was in the global recession. And uh, market, res, marketing resources being cut back and marketing, marketing communications was being ha handed over to procurement. And there's lots of good reasons. There's lots of good things about that. We can come on to later, maybe. But uh, we just thought, it's just going to create a vacuum. Marketers are going to need more help than ever navigating all this change in complexity. And they're going to need, you know, an, an independent advisor, basically, uh, to help them do that. And so we just went, thought, we'll just plonk ourselves in the middle of that and just see see what happens. And then, you know, 14 years later, we've got 
we've got you know a good again as i said a little business anyone's ever heard of but, but yeah to the people that matter they they know who we are you know yeah i mean the success of id comms is so impressive and um i think you do yourself discredit by saying no side of you because i think a lot of people listening would have heard of you and the work that you do for the industry as well with media snack and all the content you put out is only sort of shining a light on the opportunity for media really and thinking yeah. about it in the right way and it's amazing how that's evolved since 2009 and where it's evolving to which we'll definitely get into um and one of the things we're doing with guests this season of the podcast is to ask them to tell us something about themselves that maybe other people in the industry don't know. So I'd love to know yeah. something which is maybe not well known about you. Yeah, when you told me that question earlier, the reason I laughed is because I had to go and ask my wife, <laughs> what's, some, what's something interesting about me that nobody knows? I don't know. Um, and she did suggest a few things, which I'm not, I'm not prepared to say on a, on a podcast for <laughs> consumption, but I'll tell you another time. Um, I think the, the, the big thing some people know that my biggest passion is in sailing. I grew up sailing uh, on the east coast of England, and I I don't know if it's true, but I could sail, you know, at a very young age. Uh, probably not before I could walk, but you know, near enough. I was on I was I grew and grew up on and around boats basically. Um, and now we live in the US and we have a boat and we we sail up on the like Lake Champlain and we've got big big kind of ambitions for that. That's how we spend our time when the lake's not frozen. Uh, you know, and my ambition is to absolutely sail across the Atlantic. That's, these days, it feels like you know people just do that just to post it on Instagram. These days, it's not like a big deal, you know. But uh, it's quite a big deal, you know. You got to kind of prep and, and ready yourself for that. So I want to do that relatively soon, and then long term, you know, to sail around the world, sail the Pacific, sail something. I don't know. That that that's my Everest. That's my kind of dream. That'd be amazing. I didn't know that about you. That's awesome. Um, there you go um and then i guess one of the things we try and start with the podcast is to sort of set definitions because otherwise people's yeah. interpretations of the topic can go in different directions um so it'd be great to understand from you like how do you define a media pitch like what what is it yeah um it's, yeah, it's a good question the good so a pitch when we talk about an agency pitch basically we're typically talking about a marketer or a marketing organization. So, you know, imagine if, you know, your favorite big brand, right? That brand is going to work with some external partners, some external companies. And a pitch is really a tendering process to identify the right partner. And uh, these are high value contracts for major, well, for any advertiser, because such a large proportion of your profit relatively is going to go back into advertising for most businesses. So if you're the most famous brands you can think of, they're going to put a considerable amount of their profit, profit straight back into advertising. This is a lot of money. So the relationships between the marketer and the agency, you know, a big meet, let's just say a big media agency, that's what we're kind of talking about. Uh, you know, they might be handing that agency hundreds of millions of dollars and paying that agency tens of millions of dollars in fees. So these are big contracts. These are big corporate contracts, which which have to do a couple of things. One is that there has to be a, an objective and objective process that can stand up to scrutiny. What we mean by that is, you can't, you know, an executive in a large corporation, okay, cannot make cannot award a hundred million dollar contract to a friend of theirs 
you know, so they try sometimes, <laughs> but, I was gonna uh, say. <laughs> but it's got to stand up to objective scrutiny. It's got to, it's got, you know, it's got to pass muster of, of corporate governance. So it, there's a hell of a lot of discipline that has to go with that. It's a very, very disciplined decision-making process. That's what it is. You know, a good way to think about it, which I've described to other people is like, look, you know, think, again, think of your favorite big global corporation, right? The CEO wants a new head global headquarters, right? They, what they're going to do is they're going to go out and they're going to run a some kind of competitive process to award that to a particular architect who comes up with a design, then a construction firm that's going to build the thing, right? And rightly, that team is going to really think about what goes into that design, right? What goes into the building? You have to really think about that. Where's it going to be? Like, what's it going to look like? What's what? What message is it going to send? How many floors it need to have? Like, you know, whatever it is, all these kind of things. It's got to be reflective of the values and the cultures of the business. And then you've got to feel that there's a plan that you're willing to hand over hundreds of millions of dollars to somebody who just has got a plan, basically, and then trust them to go do it. So, it's the search for that partner. And an agency is really a, a very integrated. It should a good agency is an integrated business partner with marketing. And if marketing is such a big part of corporate expenditure, you know, it's discussed at board level. You have a CMO, you have a chief marketing officer who sits on the board, probably, not always, but somebody, and they're responsible for a lot of that, a lot of shareholders' money. That pitch is finding critical relationships that are going to activate all that marketing. So they're really important. Uh, it's so important to get right. And you've... It, they're typically a process that brings together lots of people across the organization as well. Because as you know, we work with companies, not many companies have one head office. It's all straightforward and easy. You know, most big famous brands you can think of are multi-divisional, multi-regional, multi-market businesses with lots of different, we call them stakeholders. That's our kind of fancy term for, you know, people. People are going to make decisions. It's uh, lots of people. You've got to kind of align on a vision of what you want align on a vision of how you're going to determine you know what how you're going to make choices because you might start off talking to 10 agencies let's say and you've got to get you've got to get down to one or two <clears throat> and and then the whole process becomes this narrowing exercise where you learn different things about agencies you set them kind of particular tests or challenges that they will respond to you have lots of hopefully good opportunities to meet them spend some time with them and then as you go you're kind of whittling down a little bit uh it's like next level chef, but for for agencies, if you've ever seen that, great, great, great show. show. But yeah, that's but anyway, that's that's basically what it is. We're we're constructing relationships and and designing contracts, large contracts between large advertisers and large agencies, typically. Great. That yeah, that makes that makes total sense. And you know, you said that um, sort of in two thousand nine ish, when there was the sort of the financial crash and a lot of decisions were sort of more procurement driven. And that might be one reason why you'd sort of start a process potentially to look for an agency. What kind of the reasons why? Like why does a why doesn't a marketer go? We need a new agency. Like what? Or, or, yeah. or why do we keep the existing one? Like what's a, why does that sort of come to be? Yeah, it's true. I mean, I, I suppose there are there are, in my view, six or seven reasons. I will send you Wayne the link to a thing on our on our blog, which basically lists them all out and explains why. Because I won't I won't burn up your valuable listeners airtime on going through each in turn but there are some specific reasons i'll tell you it's easy to say what's not a good reason to pitch it's not a good reason to pitch because as i say you're the new cmo and your mate runs an agency right 
it's fine if you're you know if you're a smaller brand and this you know fine you make your decisions whatever you make but at a, at a kind of corporate level that doesn't pass a kind of corporate governance test there has to be an objective and structured decision making process you shouldn't i'm sure people do but you shouldn't run a pitch just because you want to negotiate all the fees down you want to get it cheaper and cheaper that's a whole big other discussion Wayne I mean you and I know very well yeah you know which is when marketing can get into this race to the bottom on on price I hope that we're beyond that I think you know in the early days of, of marketing procurement particularly they were full I think unfairly sometimes accused of only caring about just reducing the cost of everything um and that might be a certain true in some of the early early days marketing procurement is far more sophisticated now focused on creating value and value partnerships um you know we've engineered our business to be as procurement friendly as possible <clears throat> but sometimes we have to encourage them to you know so it's not just not just price you've got to think about you know what the quality of what you're buying um but just to just kind of help you understand so some of the dynamics that trigger a pitch they might be a merger of two companies together. So just to give you an example, in the US a few years ago, T-Mobile, large mobile carrier, acquired a company called Sprint in the US, another big mobile player, and that now pushes them into T-Mobile, into like the top three. Uh, they had two different agencies. They've got to consolidate those, ideally into one, right? Because why would they continue to kind of maintain two? So that, that happens. Um, so companies merge or acquire each other, that, that can be a, a, a big uh, change. Sometimes uh, an advertiser might have, have just built up loads of different agencies over a period of time, right? They might have a different agency in Canada and the US and in the UK and France and China and Japan, like just working with all kinds of different agencies. And they want to just consolidate that down to fewer people. It's not because they want cheaper agencies. It's because they actually just want them to not have to deal with 12 agencies across one region and typically it's driven by the need to have what we call common common global standards or common regional standards for media if you're working with 12 different agencies you're going to go through 12 different processes 12 different ways of measuring things 12 different contracts you've got to you know manage just simplify it all right so you can focus on the work that's another one um a change in strategy it does happen i mean marketers have a change in direction change in scope you know, there might be an agency that's might have worked with agencies that are particularly strong in certain areas or certain capabilities, and that's changing. And they want to just see what other agencies are are capable of doing other things. So, uh, as I said, I'll, I'm going into all the six now, and I'll, I'll give you the link. You can you can <laughs> read at your leisure. Yeah. yeah, let's do it. I'll, I'll um, but and, but but sometimes it's it is a breakdown in relationship. You know, sometimes it really is. It's just it just just happens right sometimes yeah. relationships just don't work out and it doesn't work you know and you can mediate it all you want and sometimes we do we come in and we'll try and try and figure out how to fix it you know people call it marriage counseling and sometimes you can do that you know and put in a kind of remedial program to just try and help build back that trust because normally trust is broken uh it's not always possible yeah that makes sense the reason why i really like the article and i know the article and the answer is because there's just a bunch of reasons. I think sometimes the, the misconception is it's a it's price driven or they've just fallen out with the existing agency, but there can be a bunch of other reasons as to why. And the, to be honest, the other reasons tend to be more you know, productive as well. Yeah. Um, and I think what's been, I don't know, what I've seen interesting through my career, sort of being on both sides, is how the pitch process has evolved 
I'd love to get your thoughts on that. So like over the last like sort of 10, year, 10 years, what are kind of the, what's been like the biggest changes you've seen to like a, a pitch process? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that's a good question. It's definitely evolved. It's got more sophisticated. So I think, I think, you know, agency would be, award, agencies have been awarded business in the past on quite subjective means, you know, there's now more scrutiny over those decisions. And part of the reason, particularly in media, is that marketers now realize, well, they have a better appreciation for how powerful media is as part of their marketing communications. Like, you know, it used to be all that, find the ad agency, find the creatives, right? They're going to make me a, an ad that makes me famous. And yeah, just find someone who could do the do the media buying, right? As you as as we know, it was like it was always a bit at the end of the presentation. Like, is the media guy wheels on three minutes, you know, talks about spreadsheets. Um, now, you know, where brands show up in the world is really important. The choices that marketers make about the media um, that they use really does drive business growth. You know, media can be seen as an investment in growth. It's an engine, uh, a marketing engine, and it's a lot of money. And as a CMO, you've got to pay attention to that, like where that money's going and how hard it's working. So uh, it just brings us back to this idea that so then... As a CMO, you pay a bit more attention now to, the, to your media agency. You, frankly, 15 years ago, you didn't care, right? And, it, and it, uh, rightly, it was just handed over to procurement. Like, find us find us somebody who can buy like the media that we want for a good deal. Uh, now it's much more strategic. It's much more Im important to the CMO. So that's changed. So therefore, you know, 10 years ago, we probably wouldn't have the CMO in a media agency pitch. Whereas now... I can't think of one where the CMO is not involved. And sometimes we even get the CEO of a, of a business in, 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 uh, turning up in the pitch, you know, curious. These are now increasingly board level decisions. So that's changed. So more, more, more scrutiny on media. Um, media's obviously changed. Media's now even more complicated than it was 10 years ago. And so there's more choices to be made, therefore potentially more pitfalls. There's more risks in media than there probably were 10 years ago. Um, there's more risks to the CMO of looking a bit stupid if you don't understand media. A lot of CMOs rightly feel a, a, a bit frustrated with the complexity of the industry. And, you know, we don't want them to be frustrated or intimidated by complexity of media. We want them to see it as, you know, exciting yeah, as much as possible. Um, you know, so that's so, but they're willing to lean into those pitches. Um, the thing that we I, I say to CMOs all the time is, What's different now is that 10 years ago, you would have felt like you're going shopping for an agency. 10 years ago, you would have gone, okay, well, tell me the five agencies that are going to suit my thing. And then we'd, you'd feel like you're walk, walking the supermarket aisles, right? You'd, you'd compare one agency to another agency to another agency. That's how it used to be. And I try and get them out of that mindset of like, okay, you're not, we're not window shopping here, right? This is not a passive exercise for you. This is a much more, you know, intentional and proactive exercise. So instead of it being kind of shopping for an agency, I need you to describe what you want. I need you to describe what you're going to do and what the agency is going to do, right? I need you to describe the capabilities and the values and the culture of an agency that you see. And we're going to, together, we're going to work on describing that for the agencies. And then we're going to find agencies that we think could be interested in that. And then they are going to shape their resources to meet that brief. We call it a scope of work, right? Again, it's another clunky kind of consulting term, but it's basically a just description of what you want from an agency. Agencies are now, they're like these, you know, shape-shifting, transformer, amazingly agile businesses, right? They will organize themselves around your brief. 
that's the way to, that's the way to think about it. The advertiser has more control now than they did 10 years ago. They, they want to be involved in more of the process. Some of them have in-housed, you know, some and built these capabilities themselves. And some people say they're competing with agencies and they're not really, they're just doing, they're doing the things that they're better at in some cases. And they've also got to recognize what agencies are better at doing and just let agencies get on and do that stuff. Um, so it's, it has changed a lot. It's a lot, it's more sophisticated and nuanced as a process, a bit more strategic. It's a bit more down to like really finding the right, really the right resources and capabilities that that match the needs of your particular brand or your business. And do you think, um, I mean, this might be a poor observation, but say 10 years ago, the brand could get anyone to pitch for them because they're so big and everyone wanted to work on the brand. Is it, it has that changed? Like, does the agency have a bit more power in who they go for now? Like, it's not yeah. just, you know, if you're the brand, you can't just ring up and they're definitely going to pitch for you. You've got to win the agency over at the same time. <laughs> totally, totally right. That's sometimes a surprise, I think, to the CMO, you know, or the chief procurement officer, whoever whoever we're dealing with. Um, yeah, sometimes I think there's an assumption that if you once you put the brief out there, agencies will scramble to get to, to win. Um, that Yeah, it's not the case. It's not the case anymore. The, the I mean, you can do that and good luck. If, you know, you can do that and good luck. And it, you know, it's not, if it's not too busy, you'll get a bunch of agencies that are, that are preparing for it. Uh, but now you, you know, when you write that brief to the agencies, you've got to kind of sell the opportunity as well. That doesn't mean you've got, you know, you, you're not in seller mode. It's not, it's not, it's not a seller's market in that sense. You're not having to convince agencies to work with you, right? You're going to pay them handsomely for doing good work for you. Um, it's just that you're, the agencies are now more discerning about which pitches they go in for than ever. And for a company like ours, I mean, about 30% of our revenue is focused on pitches, right? So it's not exclusively what we do, but but we do it and we do it well. And I think we're among the best at managing these things as a company. Um, you know, you've got, when you write that brief, you've got to sell yourself. And we've been saying for years to agencies, We'd love every agency, of course, to go to go fight for every pitch, right? Because that just makes life easier for, for us. But actually, we've been encouraging agencies, be more discerning. Don't go in for things. If you think you're not going to win it, don't waste everybody's time, right? If you really don't have the capability to do a great job, don't do it, yeah? Agencies will complain about pitches. There'll be probably some people listening to this from the agencies who are, who are part of this ditch the pitch movement, and they hate pitches, and they just think it's the worst thing in the world, um, which I'm happy to talk on. And we, we, we want to get agencies off that idea that they've got to pitch everything. Pick two or three things a year that you really, really want to win and you really think you've got a good match for and put your resource behind that. Because every agency wants to win new business. It's just there's a lot of crappy pitches out there. So they are being more discerning now, which is great. I'm very happy to see it. But it means that the advertiser has, has got to convince agencies to send their A team, you know, mm. their best teams onto your pitch versus somebody else's. So why is it there? Why does the ditch the pitch movement exist? Like what, what is the complaint from agencies about pitches? I think the, you know, I, I think it's valid. So I'm not, I'm not kind of dismissing it. I think it's, it's, it's symbolic and symptomatic, right? Is that, uh, and I can only speak for the pitches that we run, right? And I, and you might think, well, I would say this, but I think we run pretty good pitches. Okay. Um, and we're good at it. And we listen to agencies. We debrief agencies and we listen to agencies all the time. And if there's ways that we can make these processes better for agencies, 
that still achieves the objectives of the market and then we're all open to that but there are there are some bad pitches that are run okay oftentimes bad pitches are where there's not a party like us keeping this objective and and transparent you know i've i've talked earlier about how big these decisions are you can imagine the politics if left alone if left unchecked and un, you know, unsupervised the the corporate politics that goes into a 100 million dollar contract becomes intense it can do and it can derail sensible decision making and so agencies have been through these kind of experiences i did on the agency side you know you you pitch for a, a giant great big brand there's tons of people on the advertiser side involved. You're not clear who's in charge, who's making decisions. It all feels very, like, very subjective and hierarchical and political. And you know, you know, uh, it's messy. You don't get enough of a brief. The brief's quality, like, quality is really poor. You get big long email and a, three spreadsheets attached to it, and some corporate guidelines thing, and blah blah blah, all this stuff. And as a new business person at an agency. I used to just rub my head, you know, you just put my head in my hands and just go, oh my God, it's another pitch brief, another one. And I've already had five like that this week. It's a miserable experience, you know? Um, so there are bad experiences of pitching. So agencies rightly feel a bit burnt by bad stuff. There are also bad pitches where, of course, if, if, if the person that's doing the buying doesn't really know what they're looking for, what tends to happen are not vague questions, but loads of questions, you know? So you get a thousand questions because they don't really know what they want. They just ask you. And so agencies get so tired of filling in these questionnaires and get, really giving away way too much information, which is not material to decision-making process. Our job is to, to streamline this down to a very rigorous structured decision-making process with a relatively small group of people to make a decision. Um, and, where that doesn't happen is chaos. Agencies rightly walking away from this stuff. So I think this is, there is a hashtag, I think, when you, you, you might know better than me, but you know, ditch the pitch has been a kind of thing, which is cynical, a bit cynical and skeptical about what advertisers are trying to do in a pitch. But if you're an agency CEO, listen, you're a grown up, you've got to make decisions, right? If you, if it smells like a bad pitch, walk away from it. You know, don't send thousand answers to a thousand questions where you've got no reassurance of where this is going. Just don't do it. Um, because that's what will stop bad pitch behavior. It's the only thing it will do. You just got to say no. Yeah. And then eventually you sort of hope that enough agencies will say no. That means that the brand doesn't get to work with good agencies. And then maybe they have to look inwards on them to go, oh, hold on a second. Everyone yeah. doesn't want to pitch for us anymore. This is probably a problem on us. Um, yeah. As opposed to they can keep but finding people who just go through these poor exercises. They're like, well, maybe it's not our issue in the first place. Ditch the pitch. It sounds good because it's like, a, you know, it rhymes and everything. I can see that. But we're not saying get rid of the process. We're just saying get rid of crappy processes, right? So if I go back to the to the CEO looking to build a new corporate headquarters, if they were to speak to, you know, 10 of the world's best architects and the architect started going, you know, ditch the, ditch the pitch, ditch the pitch, they'd go, who, who do you think you are? Like, we want to contract with somebody amazing. This is the process that we're going to go through to find our best partner, Right. And these are in they, they last they can last like six months, but they are pretty condensed actually processes. If you think what goes into awarding a contract, which could be worth many hundreds of millions or billions of dollars over the course of three or five years, there's real scrutiny on that. There's a lot of work to be done. 
they're pretty intense it's speed dating you know but an extreme extreme sport end of, of speed dating <laughs> maybe we should start a new hashtag like ditch the bad pitch that way <laughs> ditch, no, it's, yeah. yeah very important <laughs> ditch, ditch bad pitching um there's some good initiatives i mean trade bodies in the us the ana um the four and the four a's and then in the uk isbar which is the, the trade association for advertisers in the uk you know are, are, are doing some good work at coming up with really good best practice principles which we're very happy to you know have contributed to uh, lots of these um because bad pitching is bad for everybody bad pitching is just wastes agencies goodwill it wastes agencies great energy i mean agencies are phenomenally entrepreneurial hugely dynamics exciting businesses and they get burnt with these spreadsheets um from people that don't know what you know don't know what questions to ask them uh, yeah and that's a, that's a shame yeah yeah, I totally agree to your point earlier where you're saying around how they can end up just asking lots of questions. They don't really know the right ones to ask. It's like throw enough mud against the wall, get enough people to fill in yeah. the sheet and maybe there's something in it. It's like what a unproductive waste of time that is for so many people. Yeah. Um, so yeah, some solutions there. Um, and then just sort of flipping it, you know, going into the, you know, like an agency pitch and the agency's pitching Kind of what are the what sort of things make a good agency pitch? I mean, you obviously, don't reveal anything too, you know, <laughs> secretive. But things that you like, ah, that's that's a good response in this pitch, or that's a good approach. Yeah, uh, simple, simple things, simple things that are quite hard in real, you know, in real life to actually execute and maintain. The primary thing is just communication. So this idea that you know, if you're running a pitch, you've got to kind of be like this wary on guard buy you know like when you walk into a car car showroom right you walk around with your arms folded and somebody says like can i help you so no 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 no, no. just looking just just you know you just don't want to be sold to you're in that kind of anti-pitch kind of mindset as a, you, you've got to get over that you've got to understand agencies the more information that you can give them the more that you can share about what you're trying to do your vision your ambition the specific gaps in your capabilities that you need an agency to help you with you know uh so good quality communication, which is write a great brief, treat all agencies equally, communicate with them, answer questions. I mean, be open to answering questions. You know, with some of the stories we hear about bad pitches where the client sends you a brief you, you, that you have to, they even send it to you, you have to download it from some kind of, you know, supply management platform. And it says like, dear supplier, um, would you be interested in winning this $50 million contract? You know, you go, yeah, okay. You don't know who's behind it. You don't, you know, you can't ask any questions or if you do, you just got to upload them to the machine. And um, so just good quality human communication. I mean, that's, that's really just a f- absolutely fundamental. Uh, and we, you know, we can, we help facilitate that. We make sure that we kind of manage, we have deep, very detailed com- internal communications plans because the person running the pitch within the brand, there might be a team of people, but they have their own internal communications plan. As I say, these go up to board level decisions. So it's often a chain of reporting. Everybody needs to remain aligned, very aligned. It can get very political if you don't kind of keep comms very, very clear. Secondly, just structure. It comes back to the communications, but you've got to have a clear start point, end point, how decisions are going to get made, what stages we're going to go through, how we're going to make decisions and when, and everybody should know that. We advocate very strongly that you should just tell the agencies all these things, right? There's no point keeping any of this stuff a secret. And in fact, we say, tell the agencies how you're gonna make decisions. 
Because if somebody knows how they're going to be evaluated, they can optimize their responses to that, right? So you don't have to write 15,000 words or present for three hours about a million different things. If they really know what you're looking for and how you're going to make decisions, then they, then they can get to the point uh, on that. So we really like to tell participating agencies exactly how decisions are made and who's going to be making them. Um, and that's it, I think. Keep it objective. Keep it fun. It's, a, it's an incredibly fun experience. It's an incredibly mm. stressful experience. Yeah. I mean, people come out the other end of it like, you know, it's like, it's like a whirlwind. And I say, we, we say to clients, right, what is it now? Okay, it's, it's March, whatever it is, March. You know, we're going to be finished this in July, August. It's going to go in a blink of an eye. We'll be out the other side of it. But you will have been on this amazing journey. You'll have met some amazing people and seen some great ideas. And you'll love your job more than you did, you know, even more than you do right now. And as a team of people, you're going to go through something that will be a, you know, it's a big experience going through a pitch. It's a big yeah. experience. It's lovely to see it bring brings teams together as well. Yeah, I think the same with the agency side as well. I remember when I was mm. um, pitching on the agency side, and you'd work with people in teams you don't normally work with, and you start to find yeah. out, oh, they're really good. We work well together. And then your next pitch is stronger because of it, or like you exist in day-to-day -day work, and you sort of realize oh, actually, yeah, we have this gap in our offering because of the feedback from the pitch. We should double down on that. So even yeah. when you don't win a pitch, it may feel like this huge, no, a, a decent time and resource commitment, but actually it's also a huge learning ex feedback experience for you and your business as well if you can take the feedback constructively. You know, that's why I, I sound slightly exasperated by the whole ditch the pitch thing because, it. I mean, even if you see it as a necessary evil, right, as, a, as an agency CEO, okay, you definitely want to be winning new business. Most CEOs, certainly of the publicly traded agency groups, are going to be somewhat incentivized on their new business wins. They've got to grow operating margin, either organically or obviously through uh, acquisition of new clients. And winning new business is the easiest way to do that. Then when I kind of see agency or hear agency CEOs going, oh, ditch the pitch, I'm like, okay, this is your number one KPI, probably. And secondly, it has all these softer implications. I mean, I can't imagine an agency without pitching. It would yeah. be a very strong, it's so culturally ingrained in us, isn't it, within agencies, that that is in some ways the lifeblood of the agency because it brings all this talent together. It gets everybody really on their sharp focus. You know, it's blood, sweat, and tears. You go through something on a pitch with people that you may not have worked with, as you say. Who's, and you learn, if you're in one part of an agency, you learn about other parts of the agency. You, you see the metal of the agency leadership, you know? You see things on a pitch process that you wouldn't see on a normal basis. And I think it makes pitches, it makes agencies stronger. It makes sense, but you've got to win more than 50%, you know? That's the yeah. thing. And so as agency leadership, you've just got to be discerning. You know, yes, you've got a pitch, it's critical to the agency, uh, but just don't waste your time on the crappy ones. Yeah, I was I was reading something recently about service businesses and, and new business in particular. It's like it's the hidden energy currency. It's like wattage. It's like it what keeps you going because it's like mm. this huge validation of what you're doing is right and you want to work on new new, different, exciting things. And so that's why I find it surprising when some companies don't accept certain types of pitches. But also for us, I'm sure the same for ID comms, it's it, I, I love I, the pitch process is just so exciting and like the opportunity to work with big brands and new projects and particularly if it's something which is interesting a bit different 
Yeah. Um, so it does surprise me. But anyway, we'll we'll move on because I think we're both <laughs> agreeing that the pitch is a worthwhile experience it is, uh, in, in our so. cases. So the sort of agency landscape is unbelievably competitive, like with holding companies, independents, uh, all in between. How do agencies differentiate in a pitch process? Like what are the key things that they should, could be thinking about, should be thinking about? Yeah, I think, I mean, agencies get accused of, of being a bit homogenous and, and historically i think they were you could just swap logos around i mean you know it was a joke you could just take logo off one agency's presentation for another and you, you wouldn't even know um and they all say the same thing you know you've you've probably seen it closer than i have but even you know in the in the kind of technology space or the ad tech space i was saying the same thing they just talk about themselves yeah. they talk about features and benefits and yeah they forget that there's a client involved in it sometimes um the way that they should differentiate in a pitch the way they should differentiate is play on your culture and your leadership. That's what, that's the only way to be different, right? Your culture and your leadership, the values, why it's important to that client. And I don't mean all this kind of soft, fluffy stuff or politically correct stuff. Like, you know, I don't mean you've got, to, you've got to tick boxes here. Just be yourselves. Like, have a clear idea of who you are as a business and communicate that and just stick to that. You know, don't compromise that. Because we see agencies who I know are good. I know culturally are good. I know that I've got a point of view. They, get, they walk into a pitch room and they say what they think the client wants to hear. They've put the client's logo all over their slides yeah. or, you know, or whatever they have. They've just kind of, they've just watered themselves down. Don't compromise. Challenge. Because you're, you're, you're again, this is a billion dollar relationship or a hundred million dollar relationship. If I'm a CMO, I want to hire a, an agency that's going to help me make better decisions. So if you just say yes to everything, you're not adding value, you know, and you've got to start doing that in a pitch. I would say like 10 to 20% of the time of all time spent in pitches is where an agency is actually questioning and challenging and really playing a role that I would want an agency to play if I was a CMO. So you've got to, pl you've got to play that stuff up. Don't kick the client's brief apart. It's taken them a long time to kind of write that. And it's taken <laughs> a hell of a lot of time to align them all on that thing as well. So just get, <clears throat> telling them that they're wrong is not, but you ask constructive questions, right? Yeah. play the good the good constructive partner um be braver talk about media it sounds stupid but i i keep i keep i mean i don't sit in as many pitches these days as i as i used to wayne as you know but uh when i sit in pitches i used to see how long it took sometimes we just play these really play these games with ourselves <laughs> but you know how long it took for somebody to use the word media you would be amazed how long you can <laughs> sit in a media agency pitch before someone says the word media okay it sounds silly, but I guarantee you that the CMO in that room is not looking at you as a business transformation specialist, right? I guarantee it. What they're doing is they're looking at somebody they can trust with $100 million or $800 million worth of their money and that you've got some ideas and you've got some people that you can trust and look you in the eye and all that kind of stuff. And you've got to, go, you've got to do your bread and butter, right? Yeah. If, you're, if you're a media agency, you've got to talk about media. I know it doesn't seem very cool and sexy, but I guarantee you, it's a little secret, little secret I'll let agencies into. So if you're a media agency, <laughs> you talk about media in the first few minutes, you know, particularly if your CEO stands up and talks about media and a passion for media and what it does to your business, you're going to win that pitch. I promise you. Okay. I, little tip I think, for you. I think, that's, I think that's great advice. And not just for like, you know, we have listeners who are not just media agencies, but, you know, ad tech or consultancies. It's like those, those, um, sort of suggestions or advice you gave about challenging 
be yourself, be brave, talk about your specialist specialism. That applies to any business. It's the same with us. Like yeah. if we're if we're sort of pitching for a project or a consultancy engagement, we don't win it. We shouldn't be sat there after us going, oh, we should have said this because that's what they wanted to hear. It's like, well, if the client, if that's if you're if a client picks someone because of that, that's not the right client for you in a lot of cases. Yeah. You want to you want them to be open to challenge as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I, th- I think it's good. It's good that agencies are being more discerning because they're really starting to look at the briefs. They're looking at what the what the you know if if we've done our job right and we've articulated what the client needs really well, then agencies should be able to read that brief and see whether they should go for it or not. And if they're going to go for it, you are there on merit. You know, yeah. We we put lists together. I think a lot of agency leaders think it's kind of slightly random how they end up on pitch lists. It's not. There's some there's some analysis and some science to it. You know, if you get an invite of a pitch from us, if you get an invite to a pitch, you're there on merit. You're there because we think that there's a reason that you could be a good fit based on what we know. Um, so if you're going to go for it, just go for it. You know, yeah, really, I love, love really that. go for it. But do they do all these things? No, they don't. You know, that's the thing because they you hedge it. You can't help it. There's such a lot of money at stake. You've put. Mm. You've, the agency CEO, you've told your people that this is the one we want to win. Yeah. And you you hedge it, you know, yeah. they compromise. It's a, it's it's you see it, it's a shame, but we we would all do it, you know. But unfortunately, yeah. but so yeah, be be brave at agencies, I think I would say. Awesome, awesome. Um uh, conscious of time, so there's a couple more questions. Yeah, uh, I want to ask you about media pulitzer because it's yeah. a term that's come up a couple of times. And for those listening, it basically means uh, a lot of media agency pitches in any given period. Uh, I can't remember the last one, but I remember there's just like announcements of pitches and pitches and pitches like coming out, coming out. Um, I'm not sure if we're currently in one, if there's another one coming soon. What are your thoughts on like a another media Pulitzer? Yeah. Um, yeah, it, they seem to be, if you look backwards, they seem to occur on like three-year cycles. But I don't think that means anything. I think that's like numerology. It's kind of like reading mm-hmm. into something that, that maybe is not there. But 2015, 2018, and then 2021, which was then deferred into the back half of 22. Now we're seeing it now. So um, it does happen in a slightly cyclical way. It's It has to be related to the economy because pitches only happen when people are when corporations are prepared to make decisions about things, right? Or they're changing strategy. So they are... A pitch happens as a result of typically of something else. It's some other program or whim of a CMO, whatever it is. Those things tend to be swayed by the larger political macroeconomic environment. Okay. So there's nothing that says pitches have to happen every three years. So they do have many phases. They're quite cyclical. It's somewhat hard to predict, although you could kind of say like, they seem to have more three-year cycles, but um, uncertain economies, we're seeing it right now uncertain economies provoke new strategies again it's very easy for an agency leader to go ditch the pitch because they only happen when there's like when there's a recession coming there'll be loads of pitches well actually if you just pan out a little bit okay it's not just about you and your agency and your pitch or any of us uncertain economic environments create new strategies and the cmo is likely to maybe maybe they're restructuring their internal organization okay Maybe they're making an acquisition of a new business that they didn't plan to, whatever it is. Maybe they need to expand into new territories, new markets, whatever it is. It's the, it's the underlying economy, shifting the underlying economy that changed the strategies for the CMO. And then that in turn will have an impact in lots of things, internal structures, ways of working, external partners, of which agencies is one bit of that thing. 
So uh, strategies change, people change. In volatile markets, change happens, and that's just the way it is. And if you can ride that, you know, good for you. If you can ride that wave of change, uh, that's it. So uh, we are, I think we're presently in one. With the beginning of it, it's been incredibly busy. The back end of 22 coming into 2023. Um, over time, there should be less pitches. Mm. There should be. Because honestly, if we're all doing our job, I mean, we should put ourselves out of business eventually, right? Because if we if we dedicate ourselves to really producing highly productive relationships between advertisers and agencies, they, that agents, that, they wouldn't need to pitch. Yeah. Yeah, it's quite. Right. Well, it, it, it'd be great to get your just some thoughts on that because one of the things I like I've observed on a couple of big global brands is they have the same agency, but they get the agency to repitch without a process. So it's almost like we like you. It took us two years to onboard you. We don't want to change yeah. you, but we still want to get the best of your group, like company, however you want to frame it. Do you see that becoming a bit more prevalent potentially? Yeah, I think so. And there's definitely been a move there's been a move it's very slow moving but a move back to more integrated thinking and what i mean by that is generally more kind of of those more of those marketing communications investments moving back into these big holding company kind of groups these advertising groups all these like public companies that, that everyone's familiar with um where you can work with fewer companies that can do your media, creative, your digital, your production, blah, 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 all these kind of things. Um, and that's because there's increasing consolidation on the marketer side. You know, the media director years ago didn't really, you know, I mean, they, they were, there was typically one media director and that person worked pretty hard. I'm not, you know, I'm not, of course they worked very hard at what they did. Um, but they were typically one person having to manage a, an agency or a number of agencies externally. So that was really their job. The media director's job often was kind of vendor management, we might say. It's like managing external partners. Now, the, the media director internally has often got a much bigger team. They've got their internal capabilities. They've got data. They've got, And they're also bringing together spending. It's not just what we might spend on paid media. It might be all of our search and social and e-commerce and you know retail media. And all these elements are coming under the media director's uh responsibility now which is great and it's like anything that could be considered media is now being consolidated into single internal media capabilities which is i think a really good thing because these things can be planned in a slightly more strategic way but because of that therefore again you want to work with fewer external partners ultimately as a media director you because you don't want to be a referee between six different agencies all last arguing over scope you want one, two, three agency, external agency partners that you know can work well together. Um, and so that's driving a bit of that as well, is that we're seeing the that fragmented scope actually consolidating back a little mm. bit more uh, with things together. Interesting, very interesting. Um, so the second to last question, the, the theme of this podcast season three is transformation. Maybe a slightly mm. overused term here and there, but I feel like the industry is going through so much change and companies are having to adapt at quicker speed than ever before. In in terms of transforming the pitch process, if you are an advertiser and you pitch in like quite legacy traditional ways, what could be like one thing you could do to transform that process to make it an opportunity to get the best out of a prospective agency? Uh, the one thing that would make a difference is 
is humanize the process. Okay, this is a big, it absolutely has to be rooted in corporate governance. Absolutely, it has to be a good partnership between marketing and procurement. Um, a lot of money is at stake, but please just humanize the process because media and advertising is still such a people business. You know, as much as we think that the technology has taken over, it's still very much people business. And the value that you're going to get from an agency, particularly a media agency, is so discretionary, honestly, that if you can inspire and ignite a great relationship with, with an agency CEO and a great team of people underneath that and be a really good partner to them, you're going to get so much more out of it. So humanize the process, therefore you humanize the agency. Perfect. Perfect. And finally, if people have endure, enjoyed hearing your thoughts and views. Endured. You said endured. endured. That's a Freudian slip. There we go. People <laughs> feel they've had to endure you. Yeah. If um, if people have enjoyed your thoughts and views, where's the best place for them to find your content or get in touch with you? They're good. Uh, well, we are IDcoms. We're at idcoms.com, I-D-C-O-M-M-S.com. Um, there's lots of interesting resources there. And, and Wayne, as you know, we we host a, a show, uh, a YouTube show, a weekly YouTube show on uh, on YouTube, obviously, called Media Snack. And if you just typed into any social platform like hashtag Media Snack, you'd find something like that includes me or some of my team talking about something to do with media and advertising. Um, and we're now on LinkedIn Audio. We have a podcast. Of course, we have a podcast. And, and uh, I also write a weekly column. So if you go to our website, you can sign up for that and, and get something maybe interesting to provoke your curious media mind every Friday. Amazing. I mean, I watch most media snacks. I find a lot of your content. So definitely worthwhile checking all those out. Thanks a lot, Tom. I really enjoyed having you as a guest. And uh, yeah, I'll see you soon. Thank you, Wayne. Always good to talk to you.